Hey, good morning. It's great to see everybody today. I hope you're doing well and um, just want to let you know we will in the near future be looking at plans and how to roll out coming back together as a congregation, as a group of believers. So we'll give you more information in the future. But right now what we're trying to do is seize the opportunity that God has given us um, as a result of all the different things that are happening around us to find out what we value and then to begin to develop this power of cherishing, this ability to not only acquire things, but um, to find out what we value most in our lives and to bring those things into fulfillment, whether it's our marriage, our families, um, relationships with other people, our communities, even our beliefs. So um, we've been using this idea of cherishing in this definition, and here's how we've defined it. Cherishing is the determination of the heart to discover, to acquire, to secure, to nurture, and to protect something of value. And now that we're having an opportunity to figure out what's valuable and what's not valuable in our lives, God's given us the opportunity to say, okay, what do I need to be cherishing? What's most valuable? What are the things I need to be holding on to? What do I need to not just um, love or own, but what am I pouring my life into? What am I nurturing? What am I protecting? And, and that's the power of cherishing that will transform a family and will transform a relationship of any kind. So um, before I jump into it this week, let me just say, I think this message may not be a real good one for young children. Now, I know you're saying, well, you know, it's church, it should all be G-rated, but if, if you read deep into the Gospels or maybe some of the stories of the Old Testament, you'll find times when God is speaking very directly to people and, and it can easily be misunderstood. So today, as I talk about cherishing and some of the things that we're gonna go into, which are, which are really going to be powerful, uh, let me encourage you, maybe, Maybe this isn't good for kids, but you make that decision. I just wanted to give you some heads up. Um, so when I thought about how to move forward with cherishing, I, I began breaking it up, and most pastors do this. We'll break up uh, a subject, uh, cherishing in marriage, cherishing in parenting, cherishing in finances, cherishing in car maintenance, or whatever it is that you decide that you're going to cherish. But you know, the more I looked at it, it didn't seem really an efficient way to go about this or even applicable to everybody that would be listening. So I decided to approach it a little bit more abstractly or in a different kind of way. And I, and I, and I wanted to look at it from the viewpoint of like the circulatory system of the human body. It's not um, classified as a major organ, but every major organ is dependent upon its uninterrupted service. So today I may not be talking about every different kind of relationship that you cherish, but what I am going to be talking about is that one system that begins to apply to all relationships and brings the necessary oxygen so that they can thrive, so that they can be nourished, so that they can grow. So um, what are the systems that bring cherishing to all the places that we value in our lives, particularly in the area of relationships. As I thought about one just kind of emerged right to the top. I mean, it just literally was screaming to the top. And that is the power of language. Our language needs to be cherished because we deliver cherishing via our language. Um, and regardless of the relationship of cherishing, language brings the necessary oxygen to that relationship. 
So I began to think about it as like the, the way that we speak, the language that we speak and how we communicate to people around us. That, that seems to be that circulatory system, whether it's mother or child or coworker or boss or next door neighbor. Uh, language, how we, how we do that is really important and it, and it seems to uh, have the power to bring cherishing to all of them. So the embodiment of language is really powerful and it's not just words, it's the embodiment of words in your life. I don't know if you remember, but in John chapter one, John gives us this incredible abstract painting of Jesus. Um, it's it's really beautiful. It's not like the other gospels when he's not talking about Jesus being born in a manger, but rather he gives us a description that sounds more like an abstract expressionist painting, but it's powerful and it has meaning. And I, and I think there's something in this very real depiction of the power of word that speaks about language and the power that God has given us. So let me read it to you and you're, you're probably familiar with it. John started off and said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. See, this is strong. Um, it's a description of Jesus um, that John gives us, but he talks about it in the concept of language. Now, I know there's a lot of other elements that are being presented in that one small passage, but what it's communicating to us that um, about Jesus, about God and Christ, is this idea of word becoming flesh. And that word becomes flesh, it becomes your language. It is the power of the words that, that are in my life that when they come to life in me, and as I begin to speak them, they become my life. They become the language of my life. Now, I'm not trying to get overly philosophical about this, about words becoming language, um, but it's just like there's a point when a crowd becomes a culture. Well, there's a point when words become a language. And that's what we're looking at today. That words begin to embody a level of value that becomes the quality of the relationship. The words of a dad become the language of a child's life. And to a degree, like Christ, our language has the ability to make things new and to bring light into darkness. It is the oxygen and rich blood delivering life to all the cherished organs. So this idea of language and cherishing language is really important. Um, God's word speaks loudly about the power of words to us. Let me, let me read it to you. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire 
James chapter 3, starting in verse 2. See, your language is, is, you know, and let me, let me just say this. Your language, not whether you say Jiminy Crickets or not, and you think whether or not saying that is right or wrong, but your language is the culture of your leadership. I have been in the beautiful South for, for more than 37 years and have no desire to leave the South. And um, I love the South and I, I love living here. But you know, I have had my words corrected by people a lot. Um, and, and they'll say, well, that's an inappropriate word to say. Or, uh, but then the same people will go in with the same tongue will gossip or dishonor somebody else. But yet they're, you know, it, it, it'll be come down to whether or not there were certain words that are allowed to be said. I was up in Boston for one of Tom Brady's last games, and I got a chance to see him, and me and Susan and, and a couple of kids went up there, and um, I loved just being in Foxborough Stadium, and, and as somebody that was born in the North, um, I, I just loved it. It was just, it's like a culture. It's, a, it's like language. It's not just words. Well, one of the things that happens in the Northeast particularly in Boston, is, is the F word. I mean, it, they F-bomb like it's going out of style. I mean, it's not, it, it's not always being used in a way that's derogatory. And, and I know some of you are, are like, wait a minute, how can that word not be derogatory at any time? But I don't know, when you're around all those people and you're hearing all this going on, and my wife, who's a, who's a wonderful, God-blessed, a wonderful person from the South, and, and she's just hearing all this F-bombing going on, and I'm just laughing, and, and, and occasionally maybe slipping up and kind of joining them when a bad call happens. But um, we tend to look at all that and say, well, that's what you're talking about, right? Whether you use the F-word, the S-word, the J-word, the whatever word that you think is wrong in your family or whatever is appropriate. Um, no, that's not what we're talking. We're talking about something bigger than that. We're talking about language as the bit in the rudder. I, James is not just talking about whether, whether or not you say dang it um, or hell or I guess I'll stop for my wife's sake. But he, he's talking about this culture of language that comes forth out of your life, the embodiment of language um, th that you create. It's, it's your circulatory system. It's what flows out of your life. And, and I think it's really interesting in that verse, he talks about the bit and the, the rudder. In the bit, he's talking about your influence, your language of influence, the ability to turn and, and have power over other circumstances in your life and, and to influence people in your life. He talks about that bit. He also talks about um, your direction the, or the rudder, the guiding of the ship, about the kind of direction that you're going with your life. And, and James is not talking about whether or not we fight over whether or not that word is appropriate or not. He's talking about the power of language. What is your influence? How do you, do you use your language uh, for the sake of influence, for the sake of giving direction and leading? It's about the power of leadership. Listen to the power of your language. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. You see, you create your ethos. Um, the character of your community, your family, your marriage, your workplace, your language does that. And, and likewise, um, all healing and growth 
can be stomped out by our language ethos. We have the ability to, through our language, what we communicate to people, what we speak to people, we have the ability to bring forth life and we also have the ability to bring death into it. And so we create a, a language ethos. We, this area where people are eating the fruits of what we say and then their life takes a direction as a result of it. So think about your language ethos. What kind of environment do you create? Not with just whether or not you slip up and use a bad uh, uh, um, words of profanity. Uh, I hope you're understanding that we're talking about a bigger picture than that. I mean, I'm not okaying using bad words, but when I'm saying that what, what creates cherishing in our relationships, it's the power of our language, the ethos that we create, the word becoming flesh that has the ability to bring forth life, that has the ability to bring light into darkness, this image of God in us and the power of words, the power of language, and then the culture that we create in that, that uh, language ethos. So, so now apply it to the realms of the things that you cherish. And think about your language ethos, and I'm, I'm really just asking you to, to think about it. I don't want spouse talking to spouse, and this is not a time to point out, you know, well, this is what you do, this is your ethos. I want you to think about you. I don't want you to think about your boss or, or, or somebody of a different race or somebody of a different gender. Um, I want you to think about what is your language ethos? What is the character of your language? What is the... Cu- the community that you create, the language of that community. Now think about your marriage. What is the language ethos there? Think about how you talk to your children. Now move on to how you think about your friends and how you talk, the language that you use around your friends. Again, not words alone, I'm talking about the, the body of work of what you speak forth, what comes out of your life, the incarnation, if I can use that phrase, of words that come forth out of your, out of your life. Uh, what, you, what your workplace is like and what, do you, what kind of ethos are you creating there? Um, are you bringing forth life or death when others eat the fruit of your language? When your kids get the fruit that was talked about in that proverb and they begin to eat the fruit, does it sour their soul and their spirit? And does it sour the relationship? Or when they eat it, does it bring, is there a yum in it? Is there a delight in it? Is there an uplifting um, encouragement in it? Is there there something that brings forth life? Um, Or are you always setting the forest on fire, as James said, that you're using that, Um, power of language that you are always saying that one thing that just, mm, you know it's going to set them off. You know that if you make that point, if you make that statement, that criticism, or you point out even that truth, but you do it in the wrong kind of heart, that you're just going to torch the whole evening. It's going to be gone. You're gonna just torch the relationship because of what you're saying. So think, let me ask you to, to think about that in your own personal life, what you're doing with your words. So if you're looking to cherish a relationship, your words or your lack of words become one of your greatest assets. And, and yes, your lack of words may be your best bet at times uh, because there are some times 
just shutting up is one of the most beautiful things that some of us can do is just in a relationship, just listen to just be quiet and say, well, that's not language. It's the absence of language. No, not in the middle of conversation. It's not silence or it, it can be conveyed as your, your opinion's important and I'm listening to it. So the absence of a snide remark when one is normally received and expected all of a sudden becomes noticed to a spouse who's like, wow, I can't believe she didn't say that. I can't believe he didn't say that. He had the opportunity to point out my fault when I dropped that or did that. And, and all of a sudden nothing's being said. So yes, there is power, um, not only in the words that we say, but in the lack of words that we say. And understanding it can be a powerful asset in cherishing relationships around you. Listen to what the writer of Psalm 141 said, and I think he had this idea of understanding the asset of language. He said, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Two phrases pop out immediately. Set a guard and keep watch. I think they're just, they're beautiful because the first one is a, a guard of discretion. It's like, God, help me to establish a guard of discretion over my words, meaning that, God, let me guard the quality of what I am saying to my children, to my wife, to my friends, to the person that's checking me out at the store. I mean, checking me out grocery-wise. Um, I don't get checked out any other way. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? It's the idea of the person that I'm, I'm dealing with in the bank or whatever it is. And um, it, what is the quality of setting a guard of discretion over my lips? But he also says not just a guard, but a watch over my lips. He's talking about this idea of a watch of edification. The purpose of my words, not just guarding their quality, but... I need to watch over, what is the purpose of my words? Why am I saying this? Why am I communicating this? What is my purpose? And is my purpose edification? I'm making sure that whatever is coming out of my, mind, my mouth, um, the language of my life is always to build up somebody else. Or um, am I allowing words to come out with no guard, no watch, and allowing the quality to be a to be whatever it is and just say what, what comes to my mind, the first thing that just pops into my head. Nobody needs the first thing that pops into our heads. And, and it's really beautiful. He says, listen, you need to cherish your language. You need to cherish what's coming out of your mouth. And, um, and I know some of you, you're listening to this. And if you're of the A-type personality, you may think right now, well, you know, I just, I'm just gonna tell the truth. That's just the way I am. I'm just going to tell the truth. Or uh, I'm just going to give a person a piece of my mind. But I want you to realize that may be how you operate, but you're not giving them the truth. And you're not just giving them a piece of your mind. You are actually revealing to them the quality of your heart. Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So sometimes when we think, well, I'm just gonna tell them. 
That's just the way I am. I'm just going to tell them. And I go, you know, you're revealing more than just the facts of what you perceive to be truth. You're more than just giving them a piece of your mind. You're actually re- revealing what goes on in your heart. And, and are you always pleased when you hear it? When, when you win the argument, you know, maybe your mind, giving them a piece of your mind makes you feel victorious. But if you realize, huh, what I just gave them was more than just my mind or more than just what I consider to be the truth, but I just revealed the nature of my heart, maybe I shouldn't have said it. Maybe it revealed something about me that I didn't know. And it's funny how we usually say things to fix other people's lives, but Jesus is saying what you say reveals the issues of your life. And I tell you, this just hits me right dab in the, the middle of my forehead. All those arguments I try to win, all those points I try to make, all the rightness I want to be and um, upper hands that I want to do. What, what do I reveal by that? I just reveal that I'm insecure. I'm afraid that I have to win. You know, I mean, that's what it really reveals. Um, so I've learned that cherishing your language precedes cherishing with your language. And that's not just a lot of double talk, but you got to cherish your language before you can begin to cherish with your language. Because God wants you to cherish with your language. He wants, I don't care what your temperament is. You may say, well, no, that's not the way that I am. Like, well, that's that's too bad. (laughs) And you know, I mean, we're becoming like Christ. We're not becoming better versions of ourselves. Just forget that stuff. I mean, we don't need a better version of me. I mean, all that means is it's just gonna be a a more effective, selfish, self-absorbed individual named Paul. America doesn't need that. Um, did I say America? America doesn't need that. I got joked just the other day about saying China. So, you know, apparently uh, I got to work on, on some of that. But realize that cherishing your... Are we going to have to edit that? <laughs> no, let's not. <laughs> let's just keep going because this is the way church usually rolls across town. So cherishing your language needs to um, proceed cherishing with your language. So begin to think what comes out of you? What do you say? And then think about, okay, can I cherish somebody with that? Can I grow? Um, It's kind of like evaluating the water that you put into a a plant. Can I grow a plant with the quality of water that I'm putting in it? So first you got to check the quality of the water before you decide that I want to pour this water on the plant. And, And that's what God's really talking to us about. Listen to this verse. This is incredible. And I'm definitely going to go off the tracks on this one. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. He says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion. Boy, talking about watching and guarding. That it may give grace to those who hear. <laughs> that's, that's why we talk. And, and if that became the reason we opened our mouths to talk, and the only reason why we opened our mouths to talk, I will tell you this, it would eliminate a lot of conversation. Um, and he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you um, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
Wow. Boy, he just gave it to those homosexuals, didn't he? Man, he just, he, oh, all those murderers, all those thieves, all those adulterers, man, he just hammered the heck out of them. Way to go, Paul, Ephesians 4.29. Man, he really put, set them straight. Uh, no, not one bit uh, of that dealt with any of those issues. Um, the Apostle Paul talks about the power of corruption of the tongue, about the, the corrupting influence of our language ethos. Um, he talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. Every one of those things, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, what are they all? They're all verbal compromises, destructive powers. They are the bad fruit of the tongue. And the Apostle Paul, when he's beginning to set out um, and believers to become more like Christ, it's amazing, he jumps right in and he's like, listen, we gotta talk about, your, about cherishing your language. Uh, we gotta talk about how you communicate to people around you. What is about setting a guard over your mouth, about um, the quality of speech that you have to your wife, to your husband. How do you talk to people around you? And it's like, wow, I mean, that's a really big deal. It's a really big deal because we were told that um, life and death are in the power of the tongue. We were told that out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak, that it's reflecting who you are. Your personal ethos is manifested in the language ethos that you bring home with you. So this is where cherishing starts. Um, so next week, we're gonna go more into cherishing with our language. But I wanted to end today focusing on cherishing our language, about us doing some personal inventory about, okay, looking at the quality, guarding and watching over what comes out of our mouths. Instead of already determining who we're going to talk to, you know, I can't wait to get home and give him a piece of my mind. Um, I mean, can you, can you see now in the context of what the scriptures are saying that you may be right, but if you're not guarding your, your tongue, if you're not watching over the language ethos, um, I, I don't wanna, I, you know, I don't wanna say this, but we keep marriages alive because we believe divorce is wrong and, and we're right about that. And we, we, we maybe pat ourselves a little bit on the back because we don't cheat on our spouses physically. But yet, um, we live in these environments, these language ethos communities where malice and bitterness and anger and, and slander and clamor and all kinds of fighting is going on. And um, it's like, Paul's like, you gotta stop it. You know, I mean, it's like, you think you're doing good in a marriage, you think you're being Christian because you're not getting divorced, because you're controlling your, your, your sexual capabilities, if I'm cleaning it up for the audience today. He's like, no. He's like, the quality of your marriage is it's gonna be determined in your language, the way that you talk to each other. So can I ask you, Wife, how are you talking to your husband? You know, are you giving him a piece of your mind? Um, husband, how are you cherishing your wife with your language? You're not even gonna talk to her? You're not gonna speak? Well, I'm not that kind of guy. Um, how are you talking to your children? How are you talking to the people around you? 
Um, this is such a serious issue. So I, I want you to write down or, or save the notes that you can find on the app. And I want you to think about these verses that I'm giving you. And if you could just read over these verses this week. And I don't want you reading them over for your spouse's sake. I don't want you texting them to your spouse. And I don't want anybody saying, do you remember what Pastor Paul said? I mean, that's... Is that the kind of language that we, we want to use? Um, but I, I want you to hear what the scripture says. And in each day throughout the week, just ask God to, to bring out the best and to reveal the worst and to help you flush that out of your life. One of them is Proverbs twenty five eleven. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in setting of silver, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Wow, a word fitly spoken. Not just a piece of your mind, not just telling the truth, or saying it as it is. I mean, I, how many times have I said something like that? That's why I can kind of mock it. It's like I can hear myself saying it. It says fitly spoken. Well, what if you can't say it fitly? Then let your silence be the best speech you ever made. Proverbs sixteen twenty four, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Gracious words. Does that define your marriage? Does that define how people find you uh, every morning when they come to work and you're at work with, with your gracious words. Is, is that what you bring to an intimidating environment, to a, to a line that you're standing in for 15 minutes and it's not f moving fast enough and the person up there running the counter is not doing their job the way that you think they should? What is it, or, or are you bringing words of graciousness that, uh, that brings um, health to soul and to body and to marriage and to children? Um, and then the last verse is this that I'd like you to think about over this week is Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It, it doesn't say a wrong word. It doesn't say a falsehood stirs up. It says a harsh word stirs up anger. I mean, you could say, the, say something that contextually is as kind as possible, but if it's said harshly, it just stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise co uh, commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pours out folly. I mean, when you're running your mouth, does it just does it just multiply the craziness in the relationship more and more and you just pour it out and pour it out because you have some sort of axiom that I got to get this all out. Um, I just got to say this. And it's no, it's not, it's not what the scripture says. It says the eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the good. It's funny, it doesn't say, it's not a bar sitting. He's not, he's not talking about um, in a strip club or, or someplace where a dope deal's going down. It says the eye of the Lord is in every good place, keeping watch on evil and good. And he says this what? Right in the middle of, of uh, two verses about how we use our tongues. 
uh, because our tongues, our words, are the place of good and evil. But he says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Mm. Um, is, is your tongue, is the language ethos? And again, I'm not just saying whether or not you use the S word or the F word or, or you know, uh, a, you know, like a, getting focused on inappropriate words, just like one word. I mean, I, I am talking about is the ethos, the language that comes out of your life, the embodiment, the, the word become flesh in you, how you live your life and what communicates through your life. Is it a tree of life? Because it can be. It can be to your spouse. You can go home immediately, begin to change the words through the help of the Holy Spirit that you can begin to change the words and begin to speak peace and life over your spouse. Now, at first they're gonna look at you like what happened to you, you know, or, or maybe a little skeptical or, well, it's too late for that now. No, you just start. You start using the language of your ethos, your community, to changing the quality of, of the water that you water the plants of relationships. Um, the, the, the kind of oxygen that you're bringing to each of the important organs of, of cherishing those different relationships. And, and also ask the Lord, it's like, God, is there perverseness to the way that I talk? Now, when we think about perverseness, we tend to think of sexual perversion in here. But I'm talking about, is there like a weirdness of how I say things to people that breaks their spirit? Do I, do I frame things um, in such a way that, you know, breaks spirit? Even though I may be trying to present it in the right way, I just say it in a way that's kind of like, it's off and it just, um, uh, you know, it's just kind of like somebody says, oh, well, I, 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 I forgive you. I know you don't know better. And it's like, would you, you just called me an idiot. You know, it sounds like, well, you, you just gave me a compliment. Like you said, you forgave me for something. Oh, I forgive you. You just, you don't know better. And it's like, no, you just called me an idiot. You just perversed this, this, apology with a twisting of the words. And, and so let me encourage you. I think this is enough. I think we need to stop here. Instead of like how you talk to your kids, how you talk to your spouse, we need to just watch and guard and ask God over the next couple of days, reading these verses and recalling them and just praying them into our lives that God help us because uh, if we cherish our language, we will have the power to cherish with our language. Father, I don't think there's a person listening to me today. I have been wiggling in my chair even as I have been communicating this because, Lord, this, this speaks to every person, to every relationship, to every one of us. That's why you said um, in James where there are a lot of reasons why men stumble, but for the man or woman that can not stumble in the way they speak, they're perfect because the way of our tongue um, really steers the ship of our lives. And where we are in our marriage right now, where we are in our relationships, maybe, no, there's no maybe about it. We are where we are because the revelation of what's in our hearts through the words of our mouths. And so Father, today we present our hearts and our, our lips, our words, our language, our ethos, our character, we present it to you. And, and God, 
um, I'm, I'm not focusing on what my wife's saying or, or what my culture's saying. Today, Lord God, you have me looking at me, cherishing, guarding, watching over my words and my lips, and I'm asking you to help me. And over the next week, we ask that you would direct um, our words, reveal our hearts, and teach us how we should talk, how we should speak to those precious relationships around us.